If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas, and I'm excited that you're here. And with that, we're going to jump into this week's podcast here in just a second. We're going to hit up our sponsors that help make the show possible. There's lots of companies that I believe in that I think help veterans across the board, whether it's find a job, hire talent, become more efficient in their practice, all those things, right? So these sponsors mean a ton to me. So I know a lot of people will fast forward or skip through them. But if and when you're looking for help and some of the solutions they offer, I would highly, highly encourage you to check them out. And so with that, no further ado, jump into the ads and we'll get right into the show. So thank you for listening and uh, enjoy. I get it, Isaiah. You talk about Bitcoin all the time. Well, as I go out and about, I continually hear the demand for any more Bitcoin education, or I don't really understand. I hear you talking about it. I know you're passionate about it. I know you have a lot of conviction, but I need more info. And that's where Bitcoin for Vet Med really came from, was taking, hey, the 10,000, 100,000 hours of time that I've spent and distill it down into bite-sized courses and walking you through of getting a foundational why, a little bit of understanding the technical side of Bitcoin, and then how to grapple with the fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and just the things that you hear throughout the media and giving you the ability to up your Bitcoin knowledge to go from zero to hero and feel a lot more comfortable saying, okay, this is something that matters and I want to take some of the value that I create and save into Bitcoin. So head over to bitcoinforvetmed.com or click the link in the show notes. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with Offer First. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But 
I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay. So link in the show notes is going to take you to offer first. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to offer first directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. Find out for yourself why my friends at Shepherd Veterinary Software are the fastest growing practice management software. They're doing something right. Founded by Dr. Cindy Barnes, Shepherd is an intuitive, easy to learn, streamlines practice management. Built for vets, by vets, it works for you and your team so you have more time to spend on what's most important, your patients. Shepherd automatically updates the medical records, adds services to the invoice, generates discharge instructions, and so much more. Bring home more stories and less stress. Check them out at shepherd.vet. Again, that's shepherd.vet. All right. Welcome back. I have a returning guest, which has been a ton of fun. And we were just chatting before we clicked to go live. So Dr. Simon Starkey joined me on episode 28. So it was right before, it was February of 2020. So a couple of things have happened since then. He's a veterinarian, MBA, passionate about bringing data-driven decisions into veterinary medicine, which was a little bit of our conversation then, which is really cool because since then, he has started Marquee Practice Solutions and is striving to purposefully improve private practice pricing strategies. Simon, so great to have you back, man. Great to be back. And it's really been a privilege to see your work grow on LinkedIn in particular, my favorite platform. And yeah, he's still with the state of New York and enjoying that solid 40 hours a week. But this is a great little side gig and it really, uh, it's sort of a hobby for me. I don't do much else. I'm a dad and a husband, a dedicated employee, and then working on this side gig, which is a lot of fun for me. It is a job, but I am blessed to enjoy it. So brief here, my sort of tagline is purpose-driven profit maximization. So I was in part-time practice up until March of this year, so kind of doing six to eight hours a week on top of the state job and enjoyed that. But over the years, having done an MBA, worked at PetSmart's corporate office for five years, I've been in a variety of different clinics, both large VCAs and small privately held clinics, really seen a lot. And part of what got me thinking about this whole idea of sort of I don't think many people know what the true net margins are of most services in veterinary medicine. And it struck me that despite us all being well aware of Chewy and 800 pet meds before them and shot vet and so on, that lots of our revenue and particularly our net income is derived from pharmaceuticals and vaccines. And so I realized as a clinician, I would see some cases and I was on commission like most vets are. And I was like, boy, I just made out on that. I mean, always give it my best. But one example I often give is, say, mild to moderate gastroenteritis. You know, dog is young, healthy. You're pretty sure it's not a toxin or a foreign body. You know, check it out. I would do, you know, obviously physical. I'd often do fluids if indicated, maybe some injectable antacids, antiemetic, hormonal antiemetic, possibly an antimicrobial if it was diarrhea, a fecal flotation, and plus or minus rads and bloods. I would typically hold off on them. Well, you're looking at six to $800 in the current environment, even without the imaging. 
And that was a pretty good commission. And a lot of the techs could do a lot of the work. And I thought, oh, this isn't bad at all. And then you'd have, say, a complicated Cushing's case, a client knew nothing about the chronology. It's a challenging condition to describe, really, in trying to give them fully informed consent. Test is slightly involved, not that hard. But I felt, boy, even that was moderately priced test, a low-dose dex suppression test, or an ACTH, I thought, boy, the juice is not really worth the squeeze on this one. And it got me thinking that I don't think anybody really knows how to set prices and and maybe I could have a shot at it. So that's what's brought us to this point and I'm enjoying it and the feedback on LinkedIn as well. I love it. And prepping for our conversation, I just pulled different content and things that you had put out and we could kind of riff on those. And one of them, it was a quote that I know is not an original from you, but it is a great one, which is top line is vanity, bottom line is sanity. And it's not necessarily even a vet med. This is just the business environment we've been in. And we can go on lots of different tangents, but we'll keep it within vet med. But I think this world of what I would call artificially low interest rates has made it to where people want to invest for the future because money is cheap and it's easy to get it. And now we're kind of shifting away from that, but it's always been that way. How do you value a business if it never makes money? And that has kind of been the world that we've been in. But I love that quote. I think it's super important. I just want to hear you kind of riff on it and talk about it. Yeah, thanks. I mean, that's kind of our second tagline. There was a bit of a genesis for that. And it's one of my early clients with Marquee Practice Solutions. This is a uh, one doctor clinic, very successful in the Northeast, generating 1.3 to 1.4 million and taking off half day every other Friday. So very solid work, but very low EBITDA margin, 10 to 11%, high COGS. And done a lot of work there. We've improved the bottom line quite significantly. But what I realize is I often hear the client talking about revenue, top line. Oh, I had an 8K day, blowing it out of the park. But how much of that are you keeping? If you're only keeping 800, you've got to pay your staff. That's not so good. And uh, it's a fascinating business model. I actually think there's franchise potential in that location or that clinic. And um, it's sort of a high volume high service, though, high quality, moderate to low price. And really, it makes my job easy because some of the prices are just way too low. But it was partly, you know, it's not a dig at the client, but a little like when we make, because really what Marquee Practice Solutions does is, is we affect the bottom line, often with little to no cost. The only real cost is elasticity. If we increase a cost, maybe your unit volume will decline. But we always keep that in mind and we hope you're not going to lose volume. We're not going to do recommend obscene price increases. And that's where the purpose-driven part comes in. And so it was a hint to this client that, oh, I just did a proposal. Here's $10,000 of revenue. It doesn't sound like that much when you're grossing 1.35. But when you're only netting 135 and you're paying yourself under the market rate, that's actually a non-trivial amount. And that's one of many projects. So that was the nemesis there. I mean, it goes right back to my PetSmart days, though. And they were very focused on top line. And I think in a startup like Amazon 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, that makes sense. But as you say, that Amazon eventually had to turn a profit and it has on and off over the years, but it took a very, very long time. And investors had very deep pockets to get to that point. So I think there are big differences here between small privately held clinics or even small consolidators and the big boys who have deeper pockets who can probably stand to incur a loss. Of course, they don't want to, and that's not what attracts most family offices and private equity to this field. They want the cash flow. But at startups, some large startups probably are incurring losses and are willing to eat that. But as we see 30-year treasury bills up as high as they are, yeah, that becomes harder to swallow. And you've seen me comment frequently on Chewy's implosion. It's talk about catching a falling knife. 
I thought about getting in at like $29. I think it's 18 today. Absolute implosion. And I do it to dramatic effect a little bit. But if you look at PAWS, the industry tracking ETF, that's a much more realistic thing to look at. It has Decra, Suetis, Chewy, Fresh Pet. It has uh, Pets at Home, a big UK retailer. So it's a pretty diverse ETF. And they're down about 47% over the past two years. The S&P 500 is flat over the past two years. So not a great forward-looking view. Now, of course, the markets are often wrong. And the reason they're down so much is that they were over-exuberant in 2021, early 22. And I shape my graphs to show that. But even if you look at a five-year view, Chewy's down below its IPO price now. Petco is, is plummeted. So I think net margins are super important and something I enjoy working on. One of the things, the first things I did for this client lately, I've been focusing on pharmaceutical pricing, kind of have a metric, a, a way of thinking about it. A flea and tick med is very different to say a seven-day antibiotic prescription, which is very different to say a 30-day PRED prescription. You're sort of thinking about competitive forces, value to the client and the pet in terms of getting the meds right away, probability of comp shopping, risk of comp shopping. I've often felt when clinics were charging 50% more than these online guys, what does that do for your overall value perception? Gosh, is everything 50% more than it should be if my heartworm meds are 50% more? And maybe it was 20%, but there's a lot of thought that went into that. And LinkedIn's funny. It really curtails me a little bit. I have to, I'm often getting the over by X number of characters, but it's fun because it allows for these types of conversations and maybe my own podcast one day. Absolutely. I think the podcast, you would do well on that. So a couple of things that you mentioned there, and they feed into a different question. So I'll give you kind of an either or. So do you want to talk more about the markup on the pharmacy stuff? Or do you want to talk about the YouTube video you did on the tracking of the ETF? Because I think that both of them are interesting. Yeah, well, I would start with the ETF because I think it's a fairly short story. I'd love it if you could throw in a link or people could find it on Market Practice Solutions on, on the feed in LinkedIn fairly short seven minutes. I was absolutely fascinated with this. I mean, for a long time, many of you know, I feel like a one trick pony looking at Google Trends. But boy, you know, Google's not a trillion dollar company for nothing, right? They know everything about us. And some people say the premise is searching for vet hospital, pet store, Chewy, Petco, PetSmart, any of the top 10 breeds, they all spiked 50 to 100% from March to about April, May or June of 2020. Not surprisingly, and everybody accepts that, and they accept the sort of tsunami that came after that. But people have been, I think, in denial about the fact that we're now actually at or below 2019 levels for almost all of those indicators. And yes, there are nuances here. Not everybody searching for the term animal hospital needs one right away. But really, all this analysis needs is for that proportion to be consistent. Let's say 10% of people are searching for animal hospital, where for a year later, still 10% of the total search volume wants the service now that's going to be relevant. So it's an incredibly powerful tool. I mean, here's a quick way to check that. Look at Home Depot search volume. And about a quarter before it, the stock price spiked, the search volume was way up. You could have told. I wish I'd have known that. I'm absolutely shocked, really, the market isn't using this more. But the analysis I did, basically, I compared the search volume of the Labrador Retriever. It's been consistently one of the top three breeds in the US for the past 20 plus years. I think beaten by the Frenchie this year, but or last year, but right up there. And if you search almost all of them, they have the same shape, but it's a bit noisy if you have multiple. So I thought about doing a four-week moving average and smoothing it, but why not just do the lab? So you look at the search volume of the lab over the past five years or so, and then you look at the industry tracking ETF pause that we just mentioned, and they have a similar shape at first glance. 
Well, then I thought, well, let's make it an even playing field and let's look at a year-over-year percentage change. I often do that a lot so you're comparing apples to apples, you know, because the Google Trends score is a relative search volume. Basically, with 100, every chart will have at least one point at 100, and that means that point was the highest search volume. Of course, ETF is an actual dollar price, and it represents the aggregate value of all the stocks they hold. And what was amazing is so the looking at the year-over-year change over that period was very similar, but there was one little thing I noticed is that there was a lag in the ETF, both rising and falling. Now, I think there's a few reasons for this I mentioned in the video, but first and foremost is it takes time from I'm going to search for a lab to I'm going to find one, buy it, bring it home, make that first pet smart trip, then the second, third, and fourth trip, then the first vet trip and the fifth vet trip. And the other thing, of course, at least the delay is the, the reporting schedule of the markets that they're, they're several months behind the closing quarter or at least several weeks. And so there's a lag. And what I did in the final slide, the last two minutes, if you want the crux of the video, is I simply moved the pause year-over-year change back one year. And the graphs look almost identical. I mean, I was absolutely shocked when I hit enter. Interestingly enough, it hasn't got a ton of hits. And I even said it to my parents and my dad, who's an engineer, said to my mother, oh, it's way too detailed for me. So I was a bit surprised I I lost out on a like from down under on that video, but I'm glad you appreciate it. I think it was interesting and I'll continue to look at trends, but I also look at the broader market and of course, other indicators. I'm always looking at the St. Louis Fred, whether it's M2 money, that may have been another one you spotted that was quite well received. So that's the crux of that and an interesting little quick analysis I did a few weekends ago. Yeah, I love it. And excellent overview, super interesting data. I know there's a couple... I'm going back 2017, 2018, talking to some higher end hedge funds. They were starting to look and try to figure out using information like that into strategies. It'd be interesting to see it across the spectrum, like how much if you took that as one of the filters for investments. Sure. Yeah, I, I imagine a multiple linear regression or any kind of model AI could probably have a field day with it. And it's interesting, I toy with other things. So other things that are interesting to look at, luxury brands and very high luxury. I've recently posted about this dichotomy that's always existed in the US, but if you look at graph of a median household income, it's actually quite linear up to about the top 10%. And then it goes exponential through the roof. So about 220,000 for the 90th percentile. But of course, it's billions, many billions for the top 1%. And so that's quite interesting. And I think we're seeing that trickle into vet medicine. Most of us are under certainly the top 90% just by definition. And many of us are at 50% or less. And so we're seeing this dichotomy and, and it seems to have worsened over the pandemic. I think that low interest rate environment that persisted for so long helped a lot of people with assets and to acquire more assets. Asset values increased, but it's I think you could say there's, there's many things to look at, but one little thing was look at different luxury brands. Look at Prada versus Gucci versus Burberry, and they have different patterns. And I think that ties into their target market. I know I posted recently on Lululemon versus the Dollar General. They had a very similar stock price trajectory up until about the last two quarters. And oddly enough, Dollar General, which did benefit initially from middle class moving into that segment because of inflation, now they're finding people are just getting the absolute staples. It's a cheap grocery now. They're not getting the higher margin sort of knickknacks that they sell. Blue Lemon's continuing to do well, but their target market is sort of average income of 120 plus, $150,000. General, it's about 40000 And if you're thinking about household income, you can double those figures. And so that's why we're seeing this interesting dichotomy. So those kind of factors could really help with a more global demand pattern. In fact, one of my LinkedIn buddies suggested I do something like build a demand index, and that might be on the to-do list. 
one thing that was really interesting, I was at a wedding this past weekend, and one of the guys talked about doing project development for retail, and he said high-end retail. And so I didn't realize it was ultra high-end retail, where he gave examples of like watches that will be sold for seven figures plus, and that they have not stopped. They are the busiest they've ever been. He flies all over the country and does these projects. But if you look at other kind of retail or other build out, it's really slowing with the economy, but just that dispersion. He's like, it's the 10% of the 1% is who shops at these stores. And like the demand is just off the chart when people are pulling up in cars that are the same price as a lot of houses all the time. Yeah, great point. I have an ATF, Macarich, MAC is the ticker, and it's a moderate to high end, and they've held up reasonably well, certainly paying a good dividend and held up reasonably well compared to certainly you hear about the death of the malls, but, but the high end malls are not in the right market. So it'll be interesting to see, and that's maybe a whole other podcast, but how this plays out. I'm not a doom and gloom guy. In fact, I'm desperate to see a story that has a little bit of positive news because I want to post about it. I really am not always a downer. And I've always said, and this actually came up in the comments about that YouTube video, Bill Wagner, an interesting guy, if you've had him on or aware of his work, but he mentioned, he said, pause is well, the industry he feels is it running at about a typical five to six percent CAGR, not the 14 to 20 percent CAGR that was happening sort of 2020 to 22. And amazingly, that's about exactly where the pause ETF CAGR was going from about fall September of 2019 until it lasted until about August, early August of 23. And now it's getting pulled down by Chewy, I think, and others. But that was quite amazing to me because I've always said it's a case of mean reversion. I don't expect the floor to fall out. And hopefully most of those pets that were acquired are still in households, although sadly many are going to shelters. They're not going to go away, but a puppy needs a lot more care than an adult. And a lot of the ongoing care is sort of discretionary. And this is where the value proposition comes in. I live in an area here where we have a lot of Lyme disease. But not that many dogs at the clinic I worked at were vaccinated, or at least not as many as I thought should have been, given the efficacy of the vaccine and the prevalence in unvaccinated dogs in this part of the world. And so that was something I sort of was quite passionate about. And I got vaccine rates up very high because I believed in it was an easy sell. It's not a cheap vaccine. It's one of the more expensive ones. But if you have somebody who believes in it, it can move the needle. And that, in fact, ties into a lot of what I think about is elasticity. But there's really no such thing as price elasticity of demand in veterinary medicine because it depends heavily on who's delivering that estimate. Is it the vet? Is it a tech? Is it an assistant? And among those categories, vast differences in ability to present this information in a way that gets the client to understand the value. Is it just another $50 line item or could it save my pet either significant discomfort or its life? And that's fascinating for me. I think these nuances are never ending and you won't be able to define them, but to think about them and try and solve the puzzle is interesting. You want to continue on with the thoughts there and the delivery and who does it on pricing there? Yeah, I think we touched on that a little bit the last one. So uh, I can't remember all of that podcast. But yeah, I think it's very interesting. We see a lot of quite short exam appointment times, 10, 15 minutes. I know in the UK, 10 is sort of increasingly standard. You know, it varies quite significantly. When I started this local clinic year in 2018, we had 20-minute wellness, 40-minute six. But of course, it didn't always go that way. You had some well pets, often seniors, who were riddled with problems. And you had some sick pets that really weren't that sick. And so we all, the docs and the management, agreed on 30-minute appointments. Quite generous, really, compared to human medicine and many Western veterinary medicine. 
then I realized we're wasting time on that. And so we got some 15-minute booster exams and so on. This is more operational efficiency, but one of the keys there is really scheduling these things appropriately. And I gather there is software now to help with that. And certainly well-trained and appropriately remunerated, by the way, receptionists are a critical piece of the puzzle. So you, you know, can have 15, 20, and 30-minute appointments and book them appropriately, and you can greatly increase efficiency and top line along with bottom line. But what could frustrate clients, veterinarians, other staff would be having a misbooked appointment. So back when we had the 2040, they'd squeeze a sick pet into an open 20 minutes. And it was really, they didn't realize, they thought they were doing the client a favor, but staff are sweating and running behind. The, the patients are going to have to wait. The next patient is going to have to wait, even though it's not their fault. And it just can lead to a bad business model. So that's one thing I think that I've been really interested in Danielle Lambert's work on brand, vision, mission, strategy, bold stuff, a lot of really interesting stuff, because for so long, U.S. veterinary medicine has been a cookie cutter. It's a BCA Banfield and all the variants, with, of course, some nuances for local demographics, but not to the extent that I think really should happen, and even within demographics. So I'm in a modest middle-class town in New York's capital region. We have four supermarket choices, a run-of-the-mill Hannaford, a fancy price chopper called Market 32, quite nice Trader Joe's, which is new and everybody loves, and an Aldi. Quite a big spectrum, right? And yet we really only have two or three vet clinics that you couldn't tell the difference if you were dropped in any one of them. And so across the spectrum, I think Danielle's working mostly on higher-end stuff, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I would love to see some more market segmentation and specialization within the middle, and especially the bottom as we talk about access to care. I quite like shot clinics, and I think they have an amazing business model like ShotFet. So just doing a little analysis, trying to back in, calculate their gross margins the other day. And one of the big things is there's no exam fee. And how can they do that? Well, they have next to no overheads. It's somebody's garage, parking lot, or structure. And they may not even be paying because they'll say, we're going to bring in 100 people to your parking lot this weekend. So how about we just uh, shake hands on it? And maybe they pay, maybe they don't. But it's not the same as owning a building and paying taxes and utilities and so on. Probably have a pretty lean staff. Another thing they do, it's a bit of another sidebar, is they do bundles and they discount the bundles. So their sort of premium dog package, if I remember correctly, is $190. But if you look at the a la carte menu, you're saving about $89 off the a la carte menu. And I mentioned this in a few recent podcasts, is that your incremental cost is really just the cost of the vaccine. There's no extra time. There's no extra capital cost. You know, so in accounting terms, it's the relevant cost. So is it worth doing these packages? It also can speed the conversation. So do you have a couch potato sort of 10-year-old lab that really just needs the core vaccine? Scenes? Do you have a border collie that's running through the Adirondacks and needs everything under the sun? And you could even have packages and that can streamline conversations. But again, you have this opportunity to present actual value, but still preserve, if not grow, top line and bottom line. So there's so much room, I think, for innovation. It's quite exciting to see some of that in the form of Bond Vet, Poor Plus Heart, Modern Animal, and many more. Some of the boutique ones, Danielle, supporting Cody's FenVet up in Canada. A lot of exciting stuff. So pleased to be seeing that in the industry. I would love to see a little more on the low end. I heard Walmart was looking at getting into it. I know a lot of people feared that, but people would fear and bash shot clinics and Chewy and so on. But why are they doing it? Well, they're doing it because there are abnormal profits, even within our industry and then within subsections of our industry. And I've used this recently that just as nature abhors a vacuum, the modern economy abhors abnormal profits and will try and take advantage of them and therefore eventually flood them out. 
If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course, that's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable, online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They wanna help you improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they prioritize having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. Speaking on kind of pricing, profitability, there was a LinkedIn post, and again, just want to kind of read it, and then we can take it in a lot of different directions. But it says, whether you're using cost plus pricing or have built your prices largely based off benchmarks and or mystery shopping, you've almost certainly encouraged at least some inefficiencies in our unknowingly penalizing lean methods. I love that. It was like a little mini ACVP, American College of Veterinary Pathology meeting there. I got quite a lot of comments from boarded pathologists. I think what they were seeing is, of course, these gross markups, and especially some of them who've started their own small businesses, clinics asking for a discount and then doing a 500% markup. And this is where, I mean, that is kind of a protected thing at the moment, right? We're not going to have a chewy running biopsies anytime soon. But as I think about the business as a whole, I mean, I would love a kind of Costco model, right? Everything. I love Costco. You pay your membership. That's actually where they make most of their money. And then it's a 15% markup. You're never going to get ripped off on the actual cost of goods at Costco. I heard recently that they were making shirts and they made improvements in the manufacturer. They passed off the entire savings to the customers. And so that's an amazing model. And that's a model that's very hard to beat. Add to that is that they treat their staff very well historically. Great insurance, good salary, very low turn. A lot of these things are intricately woven together. So while we're talking about a lot of different topics here, I read one of Danielle's posts a few months ago and it resonated as a consultant, try and focus on one thing. And my one thing is pricing. But of course, pricing touches on everything and everything touches on pricing. So yes, I mentioned lean there. I have an interest in lean Six Sigma, just efficiencies in general. And there are a lot of inefficiencies. We were just talking about that in terms of scheduling. Also using text for appointments. We have this whole, I think, distraction, in my opinion, of mid-level practitioners. We're grossly underutilizing our licensed techs at the moment, and we're hurting them when we refer to unlicensed techs as technicians. Let's respect them. Many have them two or four years of schooling and many, many years in the field. They love it. I don't understand why we can't pay them what we pay dental hygienists get paid, 70, 80K. The money is there. We're seeing that, right? We wouldn't have Mars buying up huge swathes of the industry. We wouldn't have PE money flooding in if there weren't high profits. I think we mentioned on the last call, one of my friends who actually ended up as an associate paying his assistant under the table, and he got the best assistant ever. And it was a modest cost to him, really quite modest. And so I think spreading the love, the value, say, of a tenured receptionist or a tenured technician is very hard to quantify. 
And we think about the Walmart Sam's Club divide. Sam's Club has a high turn, sorry, not Walmart, I apologize, Sam's Club and Costco. Costco has a very low employee turnover rate. There's an article called The High Cost of Low Wages, a classic 2008 HBR article. And they describe, you know, costs on average 40 to 50% to replace an employee. So why Walmart and Sam's Club don't just pay more? And that's probably mostly tangible costs. I'm sure they're including some intangibles. We think about veterinary medicine, that sort of cultural knowledge, knowledge of the clients, knowledge of the practices of the hospital, and of course, just standard industry and medical knowledge, really hard to replace. Absolutely agree. One thing that you said, which is interesting, because I hadn't heard the Costco shirt reduction piece and passing that on, because I use the example a lot of times, like when Amazon Prime raised prices or when Starbucks raises prices because of inflation or costs going up, they're never going to then say, hey, they negotiate something better. They pass that back. It just doesn't exist. To see Costco do that is really interesting. But the reason I bring that up is we talked about this before, the passions of my kind of professional career and personally, right, is vet med and, and Bitcoin, right? This idea that efficiency should lower the cost of things. Technology is deflationary and deflation is good. That is a perfect example in the same way that if you have money that's not always ever expanding and driving the prices up, but have money that over time it rewards savers or people that spend less than they make, that's a good thing. And so I think that's just a great example. I'm going to dig into that. And I started like, I'm going to read on this and probably write something. I believe it came from How to Price Effectively by Uptal Dolakia, D-H-O-L-A-K-I-A, How to Price Effectively. Interestingly enough, that book, I stumbled across it because there was a conversation over 10 years ago in VetMed about value-based pricing. And boy, it seemed to fizzle out fast. What I think in my model with Marquee Practice Solutions is Good old-fashioned cost accounting. I actually love the idea of time-driven activity-based costing, which is a little more modern take on that. I was hooked on that when I heard about it in my MBA. So knowing your costs, being aware of them, knowing fixed costs and direct costs and indirect costs and overhead and what's a relevant cost, what's a sunk cost, what's an opportunity cost, kind of stuff I geek out on. I think a lot of that is largely unknown. Not that easy. It's not always a right or a wrong answer. A lot of people struggle with that in epidemiology and a lot of analytics and cost accounting. You can have three or four different prices or costs for something, certainly costs, and, uh, and they can all be right just in different ways of interpreting it and allocating overhead. So I did one recently as we took go back a little bit to profit is one of my clients' fifth highest revenue generator was abdominal ultrasounds. And, you know, it looked good on paper, but when we fully loaded it, it was about a minus 20%. Now there are other things to think about there. Does it go and lead on to a surgery? Well, sometimes, but not always. And how did we do it? Well, we had it, we basically attributed overheads on a direct labor model. So here are your overheads, 50,000 a month. What is that at the equivalent of what was, how many full-time LVTs do you have? And what is, divide that by the hours available in the month for the LVTs. And then you know roughly your cost for an LVT per hour to cover the overheads. Of course, you need their fully loaded labor costs as well. So FICA, C, uh, 401k, vacation time, et cetera, et cetera. These costs add up fast and the hourly rates add up fast. So with these ultrasounds, you got a little bit of that time to add it to essentially sell or, of course, offer to test. Then you've got tech time holding the animal and vet or consultant time doing the scan, interpretation time and costs. 
you've got equipment costs, of course, and depreciation. You've got that portion of the cloud that's required for the pretty data-intense ultrasound imaging data. So there are a lot of costs. You know, We try not to go overboard when we capture these costs, but we captured what we thought was a pretty good picture, and it was sort of surprisingly negative. So it's these types of things that I find interesting and love digging into. Another one was subcutaneous fluids. They were very, very cheap. I knew they were cheap at $25 flat fee. Your bag's about $8. Your line is $3 and your needle's you know, 20 cents or something. But then what's your tech time? I know you're using two techs or a tech and an assistant. And we ended up with a tiered system where you had three prices for small, medium, and large, both to cover the costs of goods sold, but also the labor. You know, to squeeze a liter, it takes a lot longer than 100 mils. What we decided as part of the calculus uh, is what is the value of this service, right? Not just the costs, right? But what is the value? And it's actually a fairly high value service. And the reason I say that is you're many times keeping a pet out of the hospital by doing sub-Q fluids, right? It's a dehydrated pet. It's a step above just some oral meds and go home, but you suspect that you get the hydration under control, you can then attack the underlying condition and you can maybe keep this pet out of the hospital. So actually, we probably still ended up too cheap taking that into consideration, but this gentleman, very cost conscious, wants just really cognizant of his clients, highly trained guy, late 40s, just constant lifelong learner like myself and yourself, just always a thirst for knowledge, see multiple times a year. And of course, as an owner, you're paying for that several ways. You're paying for the time out of the clinic. You're paying to go there. And yet his cognizant said, we could go higher. No, nope, no, no, I don't want to. One of the biggest things we did for their bottom line was I said, gosh, a $63 exam seems cheap in 2023. Can you have your team do a comp shop and of course, in his area, they range from 60 to 95, I believe. And this is not a run-of-the-mill clinic. This is where having a value proposition and a vision and a mission and a strategy is so important. Of course, he only purchased this a few years ago, and so he's developing, kind of infusing it with his own beliefs and vision and so on. But when you have a highly qualified doc, you know, coming in so low, and he had, of course, a negative net margin on the exams, as most places do. And of course, you rarely have an exam in isolation. So it's okay for the exam to be negative. But obviously, you need your average transaction to be not negative. But what we did is we went from 63 to 70. And the plan is to go up to 75. That's going to have my said, given where you're at, the physical location, the demographics, I think you should probably be in the top quartile, probably not the top you don't want to be on the top as well. He's told me he values his clients. He doesn't want to price people out. So these are the level. We're talking line by line. And this seemed overwhelming when I started. Most clinics have 500 to 700 line items. So how on earth am I going to get through this? Of course, my savvy JD MBA sister-in-law is saying, well, can't AI do this? Well, not now. I might be out of a job one day, but not now. And what I realized, though, and you may have seen my Pareto principle posts, is that Oh, thank goodness for that. Something like, uh, of course, the Pareto principle is that 80% of results come from 20% of inputs, you know, and it was discovered by the Italian economist who saw that 80% of, of lands were owned by 20% of individuals. Of course, that's worse, but using that same power function, it also is often the case that 50% of the work is done by as little as 4 or 5% of the people or products in this case or services. And what that meant for me is that we could touch something like as little as 25 line items and hit 50% of his top line. Eventually, you're probably going to want to assess everything, but it doesn't make a lot of money looking sense, sorry, to look at things that are generating less than $1,000 a year right now. And probably in the long term, you look at them once, and then those might be appropriate for just mat CPI increases or something like that. But you really, this is where you can tweak those things. And this client, one of my early posts back in April, I think, there's the quote, 
hey, Simon, reduce my profits on vaccines. That was an early one. I think I see you smile. I think you spotted that early on. And it's like, whoa, is this a volume strategy? No, it wasn't a volume strategy. He recognizes that this is not the way to support your practice, I don't think. Now, it could be. I mean, if that was part of your cognizant value proposition. I'm surprised we haven't seen more of an impact from shot clinics. I'm a little surprised. I've had former clients who stumbled across them and end up feeling guilty. Yeah, it's that $85 exam fee every time you came in. I was able to tell them that the actual fees for the services are pretty similar, apart from if you get a big bundle, you do get a discount. But I said, we had to charge an exam because we had all this infrastructure. And so they're very, very clever, but I think they're probably doing quite well. And so we saw like 30 years ago, you wouldn't have thought about online pharmacies. And even when PetMed started as a very early internet, sort of mostly 800 PetMeds, it was a phone call. The impact that they were going to have was not readily recognized. But very quickly, when I do those Pareto analyses, I always see vaccines right up the top and flea tick heart when it's still up there. And so we've had to lower the prices and we've had to kind of compete with them. And as I've looked at some of these pharmaceuticals, we mentioned right at the top, how should you price them? What should your margins be? And there are a lot of factors to that. I think I know myself as a customer, I would pay a mom and pop 5, 10, sometimes 20% more or even more if I knew I was supporting them. And I knew that they couldn't compete with a, what is now maybe a $4 billion, previously a $10 billion company in the form of Chewy. So I think to people get that. And in fact, you could almost own that. You could say, we review our prices frequently and we aim never to exceed Chewy by more than 5%. And there's still money left on the table doing that for most categories. Now, maybe you don't have to be that bold. Maybe you just tell your staff that you don't need a poster or a sign, but your staff can know that. They can believe that you're not charging too high. They, you tell them that you've hired a consultant and we are looking deeply at our prices and we want to be fair and equitable, but we have to make money and we want it to fit with our vision, mission, and strategy. So it's really interesting. It's, I mean, the data, I love access to the data. As we've spoken over the years, I know you You've seen that in me and encouraged me. And it's great that people pay me to look at this and come up with answers for them that it helps them as owners. And that's my primary job and responsibility. But I find that I think I'm helping pets as well because we do reduce prices on some things. One of my clients is quite high on their generic pain relievers. And they're actually saying, I want to reduce my profits on this. I think I'm too high. And so that's fantastic. As we look at other drugs, let's think about that margin as the upper echelon of what we could possibly do. And in fact, let's look at bringing that down as we look at maybe increasing. When There's no reason to be 20% below Chewy, by the way, as a small privately held hospital. You make my job very easy when you do that, but you shouldn't be too much above either. And it should be a conscious decision. So I think it's been a really great journey so far. And I appreciate having me back on. If we could talk, I'm sure, all day. Maybe we need an eight-hour edition of the podcast. Well, I was going to say, I have one more question, but I know we're up against time. You can give me the the shortened version. So let's do it in, let's say, four minutes or less or five minutes or less. And it's how should veterinary practice owners think about a recession or a potential recession? I'm not going to interject, but just overall, what do you talk to or think about? Yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating. And I did a post just this week about the quick turnaround in the rental market, housing market in the US. And it's it's really at peak, but what they're seeing is just tweaks of a change. And they also noted that they're not going to show up in the official figures because these are incentives. So they're giving you free moving, free month two or three months rent. Well, that's a 25% reduction if you get three months rent, but your list price is still the full sticker price. Really interesting. So I'm not necessarily I'm not an economist. I'm not deep in the weeds on that. Just what I see in my news feeds and my analyses of sort of share prices and search volume, 
I think we're in for a maybe a hard soft landing somewhere in the middle, a short recession. I think just to be cognizant of costs, you're going to probably have to adjust more quickly than you think. I just get whiplash when I see people continuing to talk about the shortage. I don't have a pulse on every clinic around the country. And I've also posted on the fact that it's different around the country. Florida experienced significant net positive increase in population. The Northeast has lost population. California has lost population. Texas has grown. So there are going to be factors there as well. And of course, there are quite significant regional impacts on CPI. So you can end up, even within this one country, because it's so large and so diverse, you could end up having regional recessions of sorts and certainly disproportionate effects. I think, honestly, aim aim to be cognizant of your pricing. I think I've always said, try and be ethical, as almost all vets are, everyone I've met, in terms of does this pet need these non-core vaccines in particular? And I talk about discounting them because I think they can be a good add-on. If you have a clinic where, again, here in the Northeast, I would recommend Lyme disease for dogs all day long, the vaccine. If you don't have good uptake, talk to your staff about it, get their buy-in, maybe have some lunch and learns, and then go after it. And maybe if you do see a downturn, what a great time to get, say, from 20% to 60% penetration. And then I talk about these revenue streams, because for the rest of the pet's life, you're going to be doing that one year. And of course, you get back to full price. You can be quite candid. In fact, a lot of the reading I've done on pricing, again, that's almost all I read now, says, if you're going to do a discount, right, unless it's part of your strategy, like Walmart's rollbacks and so on, if it goes against your general sort of strategy and value proposition, emphasize, hey, we know times are tough. We're doing this to help you and your pet out. We're we're passionate. Our staff are passionate about this. And please only do it if it makes sense. We're going to do it at a deep discount. And guess what? You can still make $5, $10 a shot easily. And that's money you simply would not have got if you didn't get the shot. And then you get the booster and then you get the annual income stream. So little things like that. Just think about tweaks. Be careful with your staffing. Try not to cut back too quickly. And also, to the extent possible, try not to cut hours. I've seen this as late as 2018, 2019, before the pandemic. Things were going okay, but you have variable hours, seasonable hours. A lot of our associates, a lot of our techs, a lot of our receptionists are living paycheck to paycheck. Gosh, many vets are. Let's try not to cut their paychecks and do the best you can there. So I think just be prepared. Keep an eye out on the news on what's happening in your economy. Are there closures, obviously, in industries? Is there a strike going on if you're, you know, in auto land. There's plenty of things to keep an eye on and make hay while the sun shines, but be cognizant that it may not shine forever. Yep. And just being understanding of, again, back to the bottom line, right? You want to be, make sure that you're still be able to be profitable and it doesn't have to be a banner year if things are a little rough and that's okay because being able to be there into the future is the thing that's the most important. And I think that's something to, to keep in mind. Absolutely. Yes. Well, absolute pleasure as always, Isaiah. We'll have to do it in another two or three years, see where the world is at. Yeah. I'm going to try to make it sooner than that, but just a quick handoff for anyone that maybe where can they connect with you, find you, read your stuff, all that. And I'll put it in the show notes. Yes. Thanks so much. Yeah. Really at the moment, the best place is LinkedIn. So either Marquee Practice Solutions LLC or just my personal page, Simon Stark. I'd love to have you connect and follow Got a pretty good following, fairly curated, but great list of almost a thousand folks that that are keeping an eye on stuff. And, you know, I'm enjoying it. I think the algorithm is fantastic in terms of connecting like-minded people. So hope to see you on there. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Great to see you. And we'll talk soon. Lovely to see you too. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment tax or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. However, you are intelligent enough to make decisions for yourself. So I do encourage you to dig in, 
learn for yourself and not just outsource every decision that you make. You should talk to your professional team if you have one before implementing anything that I talk about, but also make sure they know what they're talking about. Push them, question them. That's healthy. That's okay. Oh yeah. And you should probably own and learn a little bit about that Bitcoin thing. The biggest compliment you can give to me is to share the show with a friend or the podcast if there's another episode that you really like. That helps folks find it. That helps it grow. Um, reviews are critical. The Apple Podcast is the platform that's predominantly used for how people find the show. So if you have three minutes, love the show, please head over, give us five stars if you believe that's what we earned. That would help more people find the show. Also, if you're new, go to YouTube. It's a channel. Uh, putting up all the videos there as well. Sometimes it's going to be more interactive. Other times it's just going to be the conversation. So vainly, I want to get 100 subscribers so I get the vanity URL. That's the goal. We're on our way, but not quite there yet. For all of today's links information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can also subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss any episodes in the future. And finally, if you'd like more information, insights, or have the ability to, for your voice to be heard, join the Facebook group. You can search for the Veterinarian Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom about your host, click on the Facebook icon. And thanks again for listening. I appreciate you. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving, growing small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border. Full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos? Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there. So no ER, no on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. So type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five doctor mixed animal practice in Northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs, six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on-call, a uh, 24-hour ER less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95000 can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to Watertown 
petcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out, let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know. And we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon.